Welcome to the Confused Students Podcast. As students, we have more options for career paths than ever before. But the paradox of choice is that more options just lead to more confusion. We want to explore these options and dispel some of the misconceptions we have as idealistic students. We're hoping to become less confused while helping you navigate higher education and beyond. Why don't we start by saying what this podcast is about? Poe, you are a product design student at San Francisco State, and I am a mechanical engineering student at Santa Rosa Junior College. And we are confused students. We're confused students. So, yeah, what 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 does that mean? We started college, and we didn't really know what we we're getting ourselves into. We didn't really know what any of the majors that were available to us actually prepared us for. And yeah, being a student is confusing. So. Yeah, so I guess we could maybe talk about maybe talk a little bit about how we got to where we are in terms of education from high school and to two or three years on. Poe, you and I both did robotics in high school, and I think that had a pretty big impact on what we wanted to do in college. So first, let's start with you because you're older. So what what did you first start off trying to major in, and where did you go? Yeah, so I mean, a little background. Yeah, both Brian and I were in the robotics team in high school. You're we both pretty involved with it, you know, staying past midnight on a couple occasions, just trying to get everything to work. We liked the club, we liked robotics. So in light of that, when it came time to pursue higher education, I applied a lot of places mostly for mechanical engineering, but UC Santa Cruz had a robotics engineering program, which I was accepted to and eventually attended. Of course, I neglected, perhaps foolishly, to uh, look at the course structure for this program had I done so, I would have realized that uh, most of the classes involved with the UCSC Bucks Engineering Program were actually programming classes. It was a very coding intensive major. And that wasn't in particular the reason I liked robotics. I'm a very hands-on, if you can't see it, build it kind of person. A lot of the work I did with robotics in high school was fabrication, design, prototyping, stuff like that. So to get thrown into a major in which most of it was done in IDE, it, it was a little a little disconcerting first and, well, soul-crushing later on, I should say. Yeah. And um, okay, I think it's interesting because you, you said you didn't look at the course st- structure, like what you had to actually take. I've noticed every school I've looked at, it's just hard to find out what you're actually going to be doing, like what classes you have to take, what the courses actually teach you. It's just very unclear. So like, okay, I, I, I just want to know what, what boxes do I have to check? What do I have to take? This shouldn't be a hard question, right? Like, oh, you take four calculus classes, three physics classes, one linear algebra class, and then that's your lower div, add some more. And then like, here's your upper div stuff that you have to do, fill something from this box, something from that box. The only school that I've found did that well was UC Davis. So they have what we kind of dubbed the God PDF, where they they just have this awesome chart saying like choose X number of units from this group. Here are all the classes. But even with that, the course descriptions are like a one line sentence. So if you're someone who you know doesn't really know what engineering is about or robotics engineering or computer science is about, you have no idea what you're getting yourself into. And I think that's a big problem in universities is that it's just very unclear. Yeah, I totally agree. I should probably, one anecdote is that actually 
when I said I didn't look at the courses, I kind of did. The thing is, those uh, descriptions were very vague and didn't give a good idea as to like how the class would be structured. So, yeah. oh, feedback loops. Okay, I've done feedback loops and control systems with robotics. That's fun. There's wiring and stuff. But it turns out it actually happened all on a micro microcontroller board, and all it was was, um, well, just an extension of C. <laughs> so, and going on to what you're saying about the God PDF, perhaps I should give some uh, actual genuine student advice here. It turns out actually a lot of schools do have what you described as a God PDF, but it's not always accessible through, you know, an outside, someone looking outside in. What I found works is to just contact the department directly. Someone from the university at large probably wouldn't know about it. But if you can contact someone within the department, and they're usually happy to talk to prospective students, you can usually get your hands on a God PDF, or at least get someone to explain to you what courses are like and whether it actually would fit your learning style. That's something I wish I did a little bit more. For, mm -hmm. for instance, that's kind of the reason I didn't go to San Diego State, because I actually sat down and talked with someone from the department about how they're mechanical engineering program was set up and I've learned a ton and most importantly that I didn't want to go there. <laughs> most of the stuff, more stuff is available about colleges online every single day, but I don't think there's any substitute for just cold calling them. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. So now why don't you tell us what do you do now? Where do you go now and what are you majoring in? Well, if you were to ask me in high school or even in college, what I wanted to be, I would have said an engineer of some kind. But it turns out my idea of engineering was pretty far removed from what it actually is. As I said, I'm a pretty hands-on person, fabrication, prototyping, stuff like that. And that's actually closer in line to what industrial design is. Industrial design is just another layer of abstraction on bringing practical products to market. So you have scientists who do the academic research in order to allow engineers to apply said research into things people can use. But before they actually become things people use, you have product designers or industrial designers who take what the engineers do and work with them to make something that is designed for an end user. So take a cell phone, for example. You have your computer engineers and your computer scientists who are working on programming, operating systems, chip architecture. You have your electrical engineers who are laying out all the PCBs and stuff. And then you have your product designers, who actually both your product and visual communications designers who are designing the package the entire thing goes in, you know, the sleek lines of foam, how a person might interact with it, where the buttons go, how the user interface will look. All that stuff is actually not done by engineers, but rather by designers of various disciplines. So that's what I'm starting to do right now. I'm starting to be an industrial or a product designer. Okay, so, so you design products that uh, design products. That's cool. I think that everyone I know who was interested in engineering all kind of struggled with the same thing you did. We thought engineering would be to some extent like you're in a shop, you're drilling holes in metal, you're prototyping shit, and you're yeah, you're like you're building stuff. And then like the more you look into it, it's like no, you're, you're not going to be doing that. You're, you're probably going to be looking at plans. You're going to be uh, testing to see if something is like up to code, up to spec. Um, a lot of reports, a lot of just boring stuff. Yeah, a lot more like theoretical 
basis for things. And I think it's, it's important to understand when engineering is useful. So you don't need to be an engineer to build something most of the time. You don't need to know the physics and the math behind stuff. Concrete example, building an electric bike. We've both worked on vehicle projects. So you can do all the calculations to figure out what motor you need for your given acceleration that you want and speed that you want. You can do all those calculations and then you can do finite element analysis to figure out like, is this going to hold up to the stresses of day-to-day use? Or you can just slap it on a bike. You can get a beefy chunk of aluminum and just like hope it works. If it doesn't, it you learn something from that and you just iterate. So like you don't need to come in from an engineer's mindset. In fact, an engineer's mindset will probably hold you back if you're doing a personal project because it takes too long uh, to actually do the, the, the calculations and the analyses that engineers would do. Yeah, just quick, actually, a fun anecdote about it. Brian and I, at one point, built a Bluetooth-operated flamethrower. And of course, Brian, being an engineer, came up with a very intricate and well-optimized circuit for set of flamethrower involving a relay, an optocoupler, and <clears throat> several other components. However, me being not the engineer, well, one thing that I suggested is actually getting what's called a breakout board, which, have, which, which, which would have uh, condensed all those components into one prefabricated box. Mm-hmm. Of course, we ended up going with Brian's idea, but that's kind of, that sort of highlights the difference between an engineer's mindset and just wanting to get stuff done. A lot of the times, optimization isn't necessary to make a uh, working, functioning prototype. Yeah. I, I think what engineering is useful for is if you have tight space requirements, if you have tight uh, budget requirements, like uh, anytime there's optimization, engineering is useful. But for, for a lot of like the more like hacky projects that I think most people are interested in going into engineering, like yeah, electric bike or Bluetooth flamethrower, all these other like fun projects, you don't need engineering. You, you really don't. Yeah, you just need YouTube and the basic cat tools. Yeah. And a fire extinguisher some of the time. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this pops up in software too. So just a little bit of background. I've done some software engineering classes in college. And Poe, you did like a year of college that was mostly computer science, right? So we all yeah. have some knowledge of CS. Most of a bachelor's degree in computer science based on everything I've, I know, is like, it's pretty theoretical. You're learning assembly language programming, you're learning data structures, algorithms, discrete math. But if you actually want to make a functional prototype, the secret is you don't need to know these things. There are all these APIs that you can use and templating languages and all sorts of like really high level functionality that you can get working without needing to know any of the details of how it works. Yeah, exactly. Like when we did a the uh, Bluetooth flamethrower, for example, Bluetooth syntax is a pain in the ass. Anyone who's worked Bluetooth can back me up on this, but we didn't have to bother with it because someone else already did, and we were able to copy and paste in a Bluetooth C plus plus library, and it worked just fine. Yeah, we didn't have. Was it optimized? No. Did it have to be? Absolutely not. Still worked. Yeah. And the problem is, if you get caught up in trying to figure out how things work, it, it's just inefficient. And so the other day, I think we had a conversation. We we're talking about 
the difference between knowledge and understanding and also the difference between understanding versus recipes. And so let's let's dive into that a little bit. So first, like knowledge versus understanding. What's the difference? I remember you had a pretty good anecdote about Gordon Ramsay. Yeah. So this is the difference between recipes versus understanding. Gordon Ramsay is world-renowned chef, but if you hear him like talk about cooking, he doesn't actually really know what's going on. So he he'll say like, "Oh, we're cooking down the onions to reduce the acidity or like to make to make them less acidic." Well, onions on a chemistry level, they're not acidic, they're basic. But what's actually happening is the phosphorus compounds inside the onions are breaking down, something like that. I don't really know that much either, but basically like he doesn't understand what's happening when he's cooking. And the fact is he doesn't he doesn't need to be understanding these things. So if, if you're cooking something, a recipe is super efficient. You just follow the recipe, you don't know what's going on, and it works, it makes a tasty meal. If you try and understand what goes into that recipe, if you try and understand like the chemistry, uh, the chemical reactions that are occurring inside of the onion, the thermodynamics that are going in place to cook the onion, the quantum physics behind like the onion structure, like there is an infinite path of understanding that you can dive deeper into. You can go into like the supply chain to deliver that onion to the grocery store. There's so much that goes into that that you that you just don't know. And the, so as a, a, a sort of a nerdy person, like I'm always interested in understanding more and, and learning more. But a lot of times I have to realize that like that understanding is not valuable. It's not helping me in any way. I, like learning how that onion flavor changes the more you heat it up that's not actually useful. So, yeah. so yeah, recipes are super efficient. They're super valuable. And the, the only time you need to dive deeper is when the recipe hits a limit, hits a, hits a wall, and then you have to dive in deeper and figure out like, why is this failing? Uh, and, and where do I go from here? Perhaps I should jump in here and say, having a deeper under, understanding of a topic isn't necessarily a bad thing. When it comes to practical applications, it's not always necessary. But uh, what schools a lot of the times teach is the theoretical basics of the problems you're going to solve. And again, not always necessary to actually solving those problems, but it will allow you to sort of scale your knowledge and scale your capability up based on that, that theory. So for example, I took a class about Arduino smart devices. And this was with a bunch of product designers, some of which who had never programmed before, but, and it's not always super necessary to have a programming background to do Arduino. Again, we were just following recipes, copy pasting code based on you know just stuff we already learned or gleaned from libraries. But ha- but having a background with CS robotics and more assembly language than I really care to admit, it did allow me to, to uh, diagnose a lot of really otherwise frustrating issues that come with working with microcontrollers. Because again, they're not always idiot proof or product designer proof, and issues do arise that can only be addressed by having a theoretical knowledge of the topic at hand. Yeah, because it's like sometimes you don't know what you don't know, or like you always don't know what you don't know. So when you run into issues, if you don't have a theoretical background, it can be really frustrating and or like you just don't know what's out there. So It's like a, a square rectangle sort of thing. Like theory can lead to practice, but practice doesn't always lead to theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I think the other topic we want to talk about is knowledge versus understanding. If you read a textbook or you watch a bunch of videos on something, but you don't actually apply it, you won't 
necessarily understand what's going on. Concrete example, I watched a lot of videos in high school of machining. But then when I got into a machine shop, I still had no clue what I was doing. I was no farther ahead than people who didn't even know what a mill was. So I think you can't uh, get stuck in the textbook too much. Sometimes you, you have to go out and apply what you're learning in order to actually learn it. Yeah, exactly. And that actually can sort of expedite the process of book learning as well. Like I, I think both Brian and I have a, a musical background, but, and some of that comes from book learning. There's a lot of music theory involved, but a lot of it doesn't make sense. Music is one of those things that doesn't translate well into words. So when you get to musical theory term that you don't always understand, just playing it either on a keyboard or on an instrument actually often does help it become well sensible. I think the same holds true for a lot of other things. So like say you're reading about a certain programming technique or a language or engineering skill that I do not have, applying that instead of just reading about it and attempting to understand it, finding something that does apply this technique or even applying it yourself to whatever ability you're able to does often yield a degree of understanding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, so another thing we were talking about the other day, the value of prototyping, failing, and iterating. So this is an, this this touches on like the knowledge versus understanding thing. If if you spend a bunch of time trying to like plan out the perfect approach, like the perfect let's say uh, electric bike or something, you miss out on learnings from just making something bad, failing, and then iterating. So. Yeah, I, I was trying to build this electric bike. I was trying to like spec out the, the motor that I needed to uh, use. I, I was trying to like spec out the all, all the, the whole electronic system. You like trying to understand it at like a pretty deep level. And then I was like trying to do like finite element analysis on my motor brackets and stuff. And so yeah, finite element analysis is just basically a fancy way of kind of simulating a part in the computer. But had I, instead of doing that, just like built a quick prototype, something out of like, honestly, I could have built it out of wood and it probably would have taught me like some of the things I needed to know, like, oh, is this motor placement going to work? Is this, is this going to interfere with the legs and stuff? So there's a huge value in just like getting things into the physical world. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of a similar experience, not electric bike per se, but I was trying to build a hybrid drive system for a little motorcycle project. And in the course of doing so, I ran into some issues with my motor control unit. And like I, I, the first time I tried it, I spec'd everything out, you know, my current draw, my battery power, all the, all the stuff that you would expect you know, an engineer to do. And of course, it didn't work. Mm-hmm. I still, to this day, have no idea why. But instead of trying to make that first iteration work, I just scrapped it, went to iteration two, still nothing. But at, at, so at some point I realized that instead of just trying to optimize this to, you know, instead of, instead of trying to like fully understand the inner workings of how a motor controller works and how it interacts with both my throttle unit, my motor and all this Hall effect sensor stuff, I just got a motor controller off of an industrial drone, which I know works, slapped it on there, plugged it in and it works, problem mm-hmm. solved. Yeah. I didn't need to understand all the intricacies of electric drive systems, all I need to do is find something that worked and apply it. Yeah. And I think for a lot of applications, like that's all you need. 
but like okay let counter example hoverboards Hover, those are the like the little mini segway things that you stand on they they caught on fire they exploded and i'm not actually sure like wh- why that was for that specific case but i don't know if it was like just mechanically the the batter is getting squished or something or if and it just wasn't in like a sturdy housing or if like there some sometimes the uh, battery management systems can be kind of janky and so basically like cells that are in parallel need to stay at relatively the same voltage otherwise if there's too much of a potential difference boom fire and a lot of these battery management systems that that keep track of that are not well made so I don't know if I don't know why what, what happened with like the case of the hoverboard, but like it I I can see like you can you can find these parts and you can just copy like circuits that you buy on uh, Alibaba or AliExpress. You can and just like kind of throw something together without really knowing how it works. But sometimes it has consequences, and I think hoverboards are a good example of that. Yeah, to be fair, anytime you have cheap Alibaba batteries in hydro application, that's usually a pretty good recipe for a pipe bomb. But yeah, probably should maybe maybe uh, scope what we're saying to, to like, this is a good approach, but for prototypes only. Yeah. Iterative prototypes are great, but once you start releasing explosive devices to the general population and labeling them hoverboards, that might have been a little too far. Yeah. Well, I think like, you and I both just uh, have a desire to build projects for ourselves and those don't need to be as idiot proof because like, if if it explodes, like we more. can figure it out, right? Or hopefully, maybe not. But uh, like like some people who build their own electric bikes, they don't have a battery management system. They just like individually balance their cells, and that actually extends the life of the cell more. That's true, but that's sketchy. Ooh. Yeah, there there are good ways of doing that. Uh, so because basically, what you do is you just charge it all at once without any balancing, and you have a little voltage module for LCD on every single cell and you watch for big di- big differences and then when you do that you just run it on a balance charger every like maybe three months or something and then that kind of restores it back to mm-hmm. normal yeah no, i've done stuff like that but then again that technique the main problem with that technique is that it requires a human not to screw up yeah but like and anytime so, a system requires a human not to screw up you know there's a problem well yeah but like so if i'm building an electric bike like i can do that what basically what i'm saying is like i think a lot of people like us just care about building stuff for ourselves, right? So if you're if you're talking for a career, like for like a building a product, like don't do that. That's stupid. But indiv- on individual, like I think what I didn't because like the whole podcast idea is like what what I didn't know coming out of high school. I didn't realize that you didn't need a lot of like the engineering like safety nets that if you're building just stuff, cool shit for yourself. Yeah, hobby engineering doesn't require a whole lot of theory. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, I guess we really can't talk about professional engineering because we haven't got to that point yet. Yeah, and it, so okay, just for the listeners, hey mom, but like, I think one of the reasons we wanted to do this is we wanted to reach out to other people who know more than us because like we still have a lot of questions. We're confused. So, okay, let's start off with like some of the confusion because that was like stuff we kind of have a decent understanding of or think or we think we do. We we think we know kind of more now than we did entering college. What are things that you still don't know about, I guess, product design and product, like that kind of whole world that you, that you want to know? Hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. Because I'd probably say like where, where the divide between research 
and practical applications come in. Because what a lot of, well, not a lot of, but what, what some product designers do is that you get your, you know, your bachelor's degree, you go off out in the world and you design useless plastic crap that no one wants. It pays the bills and you sell your soul. Okay, maybe that's a little <laughs> bit too, too heavy handed, but it's, uh. it's a little bit unfulfilling to someone as idealistic as myself. So I, I guess <sighs> the major question I have is to what extent does design research still allow you know, the fun hands-on stuff that people usually go into product design to do and to what extent does it allow you to still be a bit of an idealist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that is a good question. I've wondered that with engineering. To what extent are you just a cog in the machine? And to what extent are you like actually like applying creative problem solving? Like to what extent are you like actually being creative with engineering? Based on who I've talked to, probably like very little. But I guess I could jump in there and say like some mechanical engineers, software engineers, some do sometimes end up taking like designer E roles, Mm -hmm. especially as they get up in management. Yeah. Whether or not they're any good at it is still open to debate. But yeah, again, it's as you climb the management structure, you start engineers start getting away from, at least from the engineers I've talked to, you start getting away from you know, the nitty gritty optimization stuff and to more big picture overarching specifically designed decisions mm-hmm. that, you know, are kind of what you're describing. Yeah. Yeah, small sample size here. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think like everyone I've talked to, it's just like we have these mental models of what engineering is going to be like or what like any job is going to be like. And I think that very rarely actually holds up. So like, so Kai, our uh, mutual friend, he's really into math. So am I. And we have this idea of what a math major would be or like what working, like, like what actually doing math would be like. And it's like, we're thinking of like solving millennial problems and stuff. And in reality, it's probably going to be something with like finance or consulting, some like kind of, or, or you're probably going to go into some other industry like computer science. So, so like same with computer science. Like, like I'm, I really like theory. I like the, like the fun uh, aspects of computer science, like uh, data structures and algorithms and stuff. Assembly too is a pretty cool instruction sets. Like I, I, I like that theoretical stuff but most software engineering from what i understand is like crud application so create read update delete like basically some database with like an interface so uh think like most social media is just people can add their posts to a database you can see them you can read them view them you can delete the posts you can update them your, your posts all that like i'm sure there's a lot more complicated stuff happening beyond this but that's my understanding is like that's what most people are doing these days and like even like the things that sound exciting like machine learning and stuff i think like most of the time you're not actually doing like the the cool math like linear algebra and and like statistics and calculus or whatever i don't know anything about machine learning but like most people are actually using like libraries they're not they're not actually doing math they're not researching this stuff they're just like they're applying something that someone else has already made I'll take your word for it. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, it, it's crazy how little, so like I'm spending like no money on college right now. I, in the last two years of school, my whole bill is you know, maybe $4,000. Uh, 
So relative to what you're paying, and you're 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 going to like a cheaper school than a lot of people, but we go into these uh, majors without having any clue what we're getting into, what like a day in the life of these jobs would actually be like, or like what job opportunities there are. Yeah, I mean it's not necessarily a bad thing. I would argue. Yeah. I don't think any of us really know what we like or where we want to. Maybe maybe we might know where we want to end up, but years into the future, it's really difficult to tell. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. I remember my dad telling me that I think maybe about ten percent of people end up doing the same thing they set out to do going out of high school. Yeah. And again, like I I chose the wrong path in engineering. Am I worse off for it? No, not really. I mean I probably no more C job and assembly than most product designers out there, but that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of useless, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah. But I, I do think that if you don't know what your options are, if you graduate and you're stuck in a job, you're working five days a week, 40 hour work weeks, you don't have that much time to think and figure like stuff out. And it, it's hard to make a change. So if you don't really know what your options are, it's it's not that easy to like pivot to like other options like making money online or going into software engineering or something like that. I've I've seen so many people who are in their 30s looking for a career change and they just didn't know what you could do. Like I didn't know that product design was a thing leaving high school. And if like if I didn't know it now, I that would never even be an option to like pivot into. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone could be worse off having more knowledge yeah. and being able to make a more educated decision. I just feel like you know, haven't. I feel like there's so much pressure to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. When in reality, there is no such thing. Yeah. There's just you can either make a more informed decision or a less informed decision. Chance of you know being wrong. Yeah. But again, it's not the rest of your life. You still have time to, you know, figure things out because again, college is at minimum four years. Sure. Yeah. Well, I do think that like a lot of people in high school would like think about being behind like you like you have to graduate in four years you have to like kind of rush or even like graduate sooner and then you have to like get right into a job but if you're if you're going to these jobs for what 40 years at minimum if if you're gonna like stay in like yeah a lot of people shift to from one thing to another but like why are you rushing through college as the only only reason i see is it's expensive but apart from that, like, I don't think there's there should be such a rush to graduate early, get get out into the workforce. Yeah, the idea that if that graduating four years is somehow better, I mean, apart from you know the econo- economic standpoint, yeah. it's somehow better than you know graduating in five or six years. I think it's total BS. Yeah, like I see people in my department who are absolutely killing themselves to graduate in four years. And the quality of work and their mental health just absolutely tanks. Yeah. Whereas, you know, take another year, less stressful, higher quality of work, and you don't want to drive off the bridge at the end. It's, <laughs> I think it's, I think people just should just have the, the wherewithal to, you know, take a step back and slow down just a little bit to think about what they're doing. Yeah. I'm certainly glad I did. Yeah, totally. 
I guess you also want to talk a little bit about like JC and how that. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So, so I go to a junior college and if if you're going in state, they're really cheap. So I I pay between like 700 and a thousand dollars per semester. I'd known I wanted to do this since early high school because the alternatives for college in the U S is tens of thousands of dollars a year. So uh, I just didn't want to take that on when I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't know like if this whole college thing would even be worth it. And so there's, there's definitely at least where we went to school, like still kind of a stigma around junior colleges. If you go to a junior college or it's, it's not as prestigious, it's not as fun. Uh, you're not, you're not going to parties. You don't have the same campus life. You're still living at home with your parents, but it's, it's a way better financial decision. If, if like the caveat being, uh, I, I think junior colleges are best for like hard sciences. I th- like the quality of classes for certain uh, for certain subjects is pretty bad. Like a lot of humanity stuff, like English, you're just not getting the same quality of education as you would at like an elite university. But for things like calculus and physics and uh, all these other like engineering classes, th- there's not that much that you can go wrong with. When you have a defined path of what you're supposed to learn, then junior college is normally a good fit. And honestly, the teachers there can actually be really good. A lot of people don't want to teach at a four-year university because they uh, are required to do research. So like I've had that experience with multiple teachers. They they left pretty prestigious universities like Harvard and Berkeley and Stanford who had every opportunity they wanted and they just wanted to teach and they wanted to like, kind of give back to their communities. And so they went to a junior college to teach yeah so, so you have really smart people teaching these these uh, subjects yeah well we're on, actually while we're on the subject of teaching i should probably you know talk a little bit about the um small fish in a big pond versus big fish in a small pond sort of thing because again having gone to uh uc university of california again very large big somewhat prestigious research institution versus uh san francisco state university in a very small program, the quality and type of instruction you get is very, very different. So at UC, you might be an electric class of you know 400 to 600 students, most of which aren't there, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And at no point will you ever really interact with the professor. Mm-hmm. And for stuff like calculus, sure, whatever, you can learn it out of a textbook. But when it comes to applied skills, applied theory, stuff like that, I noticed that it was you know, really difficult to learn skills that would come from interacting with people. Whereas when I went to San Francisco State, again, small program classes of anywhere from 20 to 30 people to lectures of 100, I'd say the quality of instruction there rose dramatically. Yeah. Teachers would know you by name. And with you raise your hand in class, you could actually get your questions answered. Something that was completely unheard of in Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, as a result, I learned a hell of a lot more, even with other stuff like biology. Like I took a biology class just as a GE and at Santa Cruz that you might expect to be, you know, a 600 person lecture, some big wig researcher at the front pointing stuff to a PowerPoint class ends out the door. Whereas this one, you could actually sit down, interact with the guy, have some, ask some really insightful questions from the class and learn much more than you would just from reading a textbook mm-hmm. with practical skills like design. You, you know, you get to learn 
like what these professors know and not just what the skills are. Yeah. You know, JC is a similar experience. I, I had 20, 30 person classes. If you're in a 20, 30 person classroom, everyone gets attention. Everyone gets individualized learning. You can just show up to class and get your questions answered. Yeah. I think, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell who talked, I think it was either in David and Goliath or uh, Blink about the uh, big fish in a little pond mm-hmm. scenario. Someone who, who was maybe mediocre at a high tier university ended up being actually worse off than someone who is towards the top of their class at a lower tier university. Mm-hmm. And I, I think... I think there was something to that. I was, you know, mid part of my class in East Santa Cruz and no one's looking towards the middle of the class for people to help with research. No one's looking there to, you know, get people to help on graduate studies or for job opportunities and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But at San Francisco state, I turns out I was rather good. I ended up being towards the top of my class and actually one of the youngest people there and people would reach out like, Hey, there's this faculty research thing. You have the chops. Do you want to help us with this? Mm-hmm. And I was afforded a lot more opportunities there than I would have been you know, being a fairly yeah. mediocre robotics engineer. Like you applied for a grant for a project. You got, what, $3,000 to work on a hybrid motorcycle. And you would have never gotten that opportunity if you stayed at Santa Cruz. Yeah. Actually, it's another thing. Like on non-research universities, Non-research university doesn't mean there's no research. It just means Mm -hmm. that's not their primary focus. Mm -hmm. Had I tried to apply for a grant at Santa Cruz, they would have just, you know, laughed in my face. But in San Francisco State, there's resources for people who want to, like, there's resources at, like, non-research, lower to universities for people who are ambitious and want to, you know, do stuff that's beyond the curriculum path. I mean, like, shit, even at the JC, we had, I was working on a project with like two of my professors, one a Stanford educated electrical engineer and another a Cornell educated physics guy. And so we were working on this scintillation counter, basically like a way to, a low cost way to measure levels of radiation. And so like we never actually finished the project because COVID kind of interrupted it. But I was I was working with two other people, one of which was Kai, our, our friend, and uh, like getting hands like and like hearing up close with these like brilliant people who were just kind of like didn't want to go that that path of of a research university who and just just really liked teaching if you're not like the top of your class you probably wouldn't get an opportunity like that if you if you went to like a more elite university but now like i think one of the criticisms malcolm gladwell gets is like he he falls for the narrative fallacy a bit he he like okay for the big fish in the small pond, what was the metric that they used to, to, to gauge like success in students? Was it like papers published? Because I, I kind of remember reading about this. I don't really know that much, but I honestly don't remember. I mean, because like that's the problem, right? How do you judge student outcomes and student success? It it just that that seems like a really hard problem to solve. If you go to a more elite university, you're gonna have a better network. The, the people there are going to, like, there is something to the effect, I think, that more elite universities, on average, like, the, the talent pool is, is higher. So, like, I, I, don't, I don't think that it always remains true. Like, like going to the JC, like, the, 
a lot of the people in your class is like not that and not that like, like they struggled these are people who like normally came from disadvantaged backgrounds and maybe were returning to college after a 10-year hiatus but so like i don't want to like go down on these people they were like overcoming hardships to to go to these to jc but if you want to learn and surround yourself by like ambitious smart people going to universities like uh, srjc or like presumably to some extent sf state it's not as good as as a, an elite school like top tier school so like i don't think i think you have to take everything with a grain of salt yeah that's true i mean there's a reason why these large research universities are the way they are yeah and why people want to go to them i mean some of it's like you know brand name recognition but some of it is because of networking yeah town pool stuff like that but again that's that's not to say that you can't find talented ambitious people at like jc's or state universities i mean like yeah i'm sure you know people who are in the class with brian would be able to state to the contrary it's just that it's not quite as common but again yeah. It's it's a pool of people. You you'll eventually find someone who sure with like who who's, who's like minded, ambitious, academically apt with oh, with decent ap- academic aptitude. Yeah. Now, and I think the other like trade off. So you and I didn't get like four in high school, and I think like one one of the reasons for that is like we were pursuing other stuff. Like we were spending literally hundreds or thousands of hours in the robotics room building shit we were we were like doing our own stuff and so there's this one youtube video i saw a couple years back by this guy who got into stanford and he was going to stanford he's like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing like i have i don't know what i'm interested in i don't know what i want to major in and basically he said like i spent all my time and resources like trying to get into elite university and then now i got there and i i still know what i want to do and so i think that's like one problem for high school students who are who are going down that path like of trying to get into like the best university they can the 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 cost benefit like the um, opportunity cost of that is you're not spending time on like cool projects and you're not uh learning stuff outside of the classroom so yeah yeah totally i think i think brian at some point you did the math and we spent more hours in robotics than we did in you know one of our ap classes i thought that was pretty mind-blowing but yeah i yeah i think we yeah, because like, like Poe, you you and I were like, we we'd get out, we'd like skip class, go into the robotics room, and then leave no, we, we had after midnight. We, we we were excused. <laughs> our teacher's gonna go listening to our podcast through you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I okay. I think I think that's a good place to wrap up. But just like. We we decided to start this podcast yesterday because we are confused students who really like entering college didn't really know what's going on. We had a lot of misconceptions, and I think we still do. We're still confused, and so I think we want to. What, what are your goals with this podcast, though? I just enjoy hearing people talk about stuff that they're interested in. Yeah. Again, I'm not super familiar with podcasts, but <laughs> if we can get people on here who know what they're doing, like us, I think that would yeah. be a benefit to us all. Yeah, I, I think I think we'll we'll try that. We'll we'll just see if if this goes anywhere. I think it's just fun to have these conversations. So uh, I think that that should be reward enough. Very well, over and out. All right.